This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Well, uh, how are you, buddy? You there? Always good. Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound great. Thanks. Good to see you, my Well, good to see you. Good to hear from you, my friend. How are you? You well? I'm... I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Glad to. I was kind of away for a few days, and uh, you know, if you leave for uh, four days now, uh, the AI has already taken over by the time you get home. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. You can't keep up. It's just impossible. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna start there in about two seconds. So listen, just to set the room, everybody. Uh, this is our weekly Tuesday Spaces. We do this 11 a.m. Uh, as I've kind of discussed, I've, I've considered doing this more often, but we're really trying to uh, favor quality over quantity. And the guests have really, truly been incredible. And I know people have valued these conversations. Next week, uh, I have a feeling it'll be a sort of an opposite vibe conversation. I have Jeff Booth, so we'll be talking more heavily, I think, about Bitcoin next week. Uh, everybody, please hit that little arrow button up at the top. Share this space, get more people in. And, and you know, and also, of course, this will be available for for playback here on on Twitter, but also on Spotify, Apple Music, everywhere that we have my podcast. But uh, without further ado, I want to be respectful of everyone's time. So so let's get started. And Raul, listen, I just sort of already hinted at it with that joke about AI. You've been on a bit of a tweet storm. I know that you just tried Auto GPT. I've seen quite a few things. You and I have had a lot of conversations about exponential technological growth. This is insane. <laughs> uh yes so you know the speed at which it's happening is surprising even those at the epicenter of the of ai itself so people like emad mossack is a good friend of mine even he is like i asked him to predict where might we be in five years he goes i have no idea where we're going to be by the end of the year because things that he thought were going to take a year to develop happened in a month don't forget ChatGPT went from zero to 100 million users in five weeks. Literally nothing on earth has ever happened like this before. So we kind of get our heads around that and our heads around mid-journey and its incredible um, development in terms of the kind of photorealistic art. Then we know that text-to-video is coming and that's going to come at scale as well and that's going to happen in the next month or so. And then on top of it, we launch all this kind of agent-based auto gpt which basically is creating your own intern but skilled intern to be able to do pretty much anything now it's early stage but it got announced last week and already by the weekend there were about six major projects built using it i I don't even know who these people are building this stuff and how they can do it at such speed but it's crazy and that's the first iteration of that so if we think of it as its GPT-3 moment, 
where the hell are these agents in a year's time? These are basically autonomous AIs that conduct tasks for you and can work together to create complex tasks. So let's say, I mean, I asked it to write me a newsletter based around the recent developments of AI, but also brand it the exponential age, create a branding for it, and then create it into a PDF. Now, I didn't know how to do the prompt. It was my first time, but I got quite a long way along that with it, with only two prompts. And I'm like, oh my God, what does this even mean? So it, it means that the replacement of knowledge workers and the enhancement of knowledge at scale. Knowledge doesn't become a scarcity. Expertise doesn't become a scarcity. It becomes an abundance thing. Um, nobody's really ready for that. But when we're talking about exponential age technologies, you know, we've already seen um, you and I, Scott, been all over this is crypto and how fast that was. That was the fastest adoption of any technology. And we probably haven't even had the chat GPT moment there yet. But then coming hot on the heels is, I think the Apple announcement that comes at their, whatever their big mega show is, I think that's going to be their new headset. Plus this new Nerf technologies that I've just been tweeting about, which is basically 3D renditionings of spaces, which allows you to, to create photorealistic metaverse experiences. Okay, they've been working on that for a long time. So that's coming. On top of it, we've got the rise of the robots and that's the self-driving cars. And within the next couple of years, we're going to see a plethora of, of self-driving um, cars around as, you know, whether it's Google, whether it's um, Tesla and a bunch of others start scaling that out. So that's basically robots combined with AI <laughs> and so on and so forth. I mean, it keeps going and keeps going. I mean, I even looked at this when I, when Elon bought Twitter, I said he's no interest in, in a social media platform. That's all a front. What he's actually buying is one of the best sources of human interaction for training AI. And he's basically announced that X.AI is, is that. It's the ability to get natural human conversation, both in long form, because that's the new long form tweets, plus the kind of new Substack ideas that are coming, plus short form, plus video, plus audio. Um, that's a very powerful data set. And I'm, I'm sure he'll close off the APIs to Twitter. So then he gets the data set. Now, why does he want that? Well, X.AI is just part of a bigger plan, which is he also obviously owns Dojo, which is this massive supercomputer to create AI processing for for the self-driving cars for Tesla. But in addition, he's building the Optimus robot. So, so you've got robots and you've got all the humans in the world interacting on Twitter um, and you've got the cars. It's like, okay, this is moving very, very fast. Yeah, there's never been anything like it. And now it seems like even the fast things that took years take days. I read that yeah, that's GPT. I read that Auto GPT was only conceived two and a half weeks ago. Yeah, idea. So, so what what we're seeing here, and people are going to have to get used to this, is going to be very, very unnerving, and we're all feeling it. It's like I cannot keep up with this. Is we kind of began to get to grips with Metcalfe's law. So that is these kind of exponential adoptions. Yeah, we've seen it in in crypto. We've seen it in the internet. We've seen it in mobile phones. All great. This, however, what's going on in AI is actually AI and the all of these technologies together is creating something called Reed's Law, which is Metcalfe's Law squared. And we've I've gone through and checked, and I don't think there's any example of this in humanity. Um, and we're going to have to deal with this at scale globally. 
uh, in a ridiculous period of time. Yeah, I guess the next question becomes what's left for us, right? And I'm not one of I'm not a fear monger who believes that AI is coming for our jobs. I think that this just increases the individual human productivity by many, many multiples. But this is sort of you know, I joke about travel agents being replaced, obviously, by the Internet and, and Kayak and Expedia and such. But it feels like we're just going to have thousands of jobs that are travel agents. And it's going to be next month or six months. Yeah. Yeah, or next week at this rate. I mean, yes, yes, it's very disruptive to the labor force. As I've said to people who are arguing about sticky inflation, this is like a nuclear bomb of deflation that's just hit the world. I think it's it's the biggest advancement of any technology since probably the splitting of the atom in its massiveness of importance. Um, it is It is fundamentally a change in society how we work, how economies run, and that is all underway. I mean, I've, I've been talking about this and writing about this for the last two or three years, saying this is all coming, and that I didn't realize how fast this was going to happen and what it was actually going to feel like. But it's like, you know, we're all in the media business as well as investing in a whole bunch of other things. I mean, Scott, you've been in the music business. Well, that's completely changed. You write newsletters, that's completely changed. You create content, that's completely changed. The investing world, well, that's going to completely change. I mean, what's left? I mean, everything, everything is going to change. Yeah, I don't have the answer for that. And I'm, I feel like I'm so far behind it. Even now I'm like having meetings in the coming weeks with people who are master prompters and, and understand this stuff better than me, because I, I do feel like it's either you learn how to prompt these and get the most out of it, or you will literally be left behind. I'm not saying that, that there won't be uh, things for us all to do, but even from the first iteration of ChatGPT, I was using it to help edit my newsletter. I immediately saw at least the value there, but like you just said, you could literally have it conceive of, name, brand, and write your newsletter. I'm not going to do that. But if you don't, somebody's going to do it. And then and Scott's going to be walking around LA looking for another job. It's just the issue we're facing. I mean, it's very real because there's some 24-year-old who's figuring out how to do this who's coming up for your work. Really crazy. Mark, I see you have your hand up. By the way, for the other guests who we do have up here, we will be adding more. Just feel free to jump in whenever you want. We don't need to be polite, Mark. No, I just want a question. So I, the, the, the question is quality. I, 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 don't, I don't see it. Um, you guys have thoughts on, or Raul, do you have thoughts on, on the quality? Yeah, this tool is fast and it does things fast, but at least my experience is the quality is mediocre at best. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, yeah, I'd argue differently, Mark. Um, hello, by the way. I haven't spoken to you in a while. Hope you're well. Um, I'd argue opposite. I mean, we've used it a lot. I've spent a lot of time playing around with it. We use it a lot at Real Vision over a whole different things. And... It's the quality of the prompts that gives the quality of the output. Uh, the output is 
literally extraordinary. I've used it whether it's for personal issues, um, I've used it for business planning, business strategy, I've used it for guide and assistance. It's more powerful than I think we yet understand. I think there was a, you know, when you see the interviews with, let's say, Sam Altman and Lex Fridman, or you see the one that, that uh, the CEO of Microsoft did uh, on 60 Minutes, all of these guys are like, we don't even know what we invented here, and we're seeing it learn itself in ways we didn't understand, which is what we saw with Go. So this is not a fixed state thing because it's an exponential in how it learns as well, that whatever we think of it today is not where it is tomorrow. So I think it's very dangerous to underestimate the power of this um, and the quality statement today, because the quality statement today was different than it was yesterday and it was two months ago. So I would just keep a very open mind to what you think quality is versus the quality of the inputs and how to leverage this more powerfully. I mean, don't forget this auto GPT was built on top of chat GPT and that's leveraging the same toolkit, but also the internet as well. So that's become even more powerful than we possibly imagined. Yeah, Raul, I was going to ask you specifically about that. Obviously, one of the criticisms of chat GPT is that it's using a data set that's 2021 and before. Does auto GPT now leverage uh, real-time data. I haven't even had a chance to look into that. And also just really quickly to Mark, I can tell you that the uh, quality argument is so two weeks ago. I know that sounds nuts, but uh, it, it improves literally with your ability to prompt, like you said, and uh, and just with the evolution of ChatGPT4, it's really crazy. But go, go ahead. But how much how much of your newsletter has been generated None. by the tool? None of it is generated by the tool, but I'm a simpleton. I, I generally use it just to make sure that I don't have grammatical errors to edit and make myself sound a bit smarter, but but I'm still not comfortable yet uh, releasing that. Okay, well. so you're, yes, you're, I agree you're, with you on that regard. Ral, how much how much of your content? So for, uh, I mean, you talk about how great the tool is, but I don't, I, I don't have much uh, evidence of quality output that I've received. I've, I've received some crappy stuff, but... So we use AI for video editing. Um, so uh, Descript allows us to put in a creator, also create a transcript instantaneously. Transcript's not 100% perfect. With that transcript, we can then just go through the transcript, look at chunks of the video we want to take out to create a shortcut. It creates that, edits the video and does it or we can take bits of speech out, or you can put its own speech in. We've also used it for creating um, content. We've been experimenting internally with creating content in my voice and other people's voices, um, original content, and it can do that pretty well. Um, we're already seeing it for newsletters. So we have newsletters that um, the editing first pass or the structure of a newsletter is written by AI, and we've only been using it for a month. Um, so the marketing team have been using it, the content team have been using it, the product and engineering team are building on it and using it. So it's kind of coming at us from every angle, but everybody's new to it. We're all trying to learn how to get the most out of it. Um, I'm seeing other people writing entire newsletters um, written by AI, and you're seeing a lot of uh, posts on Twitter now that are completely AI written, um, these kind of long-form posts. Um, and they're, they're pretty decent. And again, these are people who are not experts in doing this either. So yeah, I'm, 
All right, well, you, you went from you went from great downgraded to pretty decent. So if I keep asking you questions, maybe we'll get to what I think, which is not very good. I, I don't know. I've been testing it, Mark, and I, I will say some of it is really, really excellent. It's just that I haven't figured out how to work it into my flow yet, right? And like, I, I think that, uh, and I'm assuming that Raul is probably similar. The thing I struggle with is that I still want to read it and check it first. Right and then and and have the original idea, but there are plenty of people who have just put it out into the wild to do to do its own thing. I think the craziest part is how fast it's iterating on itself. And so, like what we say today, might be completely different in a week. I mean, AutoGPT literally it's been like three weeks, and I have a friend who just booked an entire vacation uh, using AutoGPT to test it with a full schedule with uh, childcare for his kids. It downloaded things to his computer like apps that it needed to be able to continue the process without him doing any of it i mean it's pretty absurd yeah agree. totally agree bill i saw you had had your hand up there i don't i don't know if you had a comment yeah i i good morning everyone i, I i've just been thinking about this for i don't know so like decades i mean i had the first machine learning classes i had at 30 years ago at stanford i mean Things have, have have evolved significantly, but a lot of the basic ideas of deep learning, generative models, uh, you know, reinforcement learning, all the concepts that we've been building on for thirty years. I mean, it's 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 largely a function of Moore's law playing itself out, right? And and so I think to, to, to partially to to both Mark's point and and your and and Rel's point, I think that we're in a exponential learning phase right now and you're basically dealing with a an infant that is learning at an exponential rate and and that infant is basically the sum total of everything happening in ai right now and i i think Raul made the point that that the, the expert the expert in ai is saying he doesn't know what's going to happen and i think the reason is is that we intuitively understand, and a lot of people don't, that uh, I don't know. Did everyone lose Bill there? I did. If you guys could hear Bill, give a thumbs up. If you can't, we we we. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you lose me? There. Or yeah, for a oh, second, okay. but see if you're back. Sorry. I just say yep. you know we tend to think about exponential technologies at decades scale. Now, because every developer on the planet is going to start using these tools. We're going to see them at sub-month scale, which we've never experienced as a human species before. And so I think Mark's point is fair, but at the same time, we've never seen an infant grow up in, in days as opposed to years. And I think that's what we're about to experience here. And we don't necessarily know the implications of that, but I can tell you we're not going to be having the discussion in a year of is the quality here great it's going to be how is your organization becoming exponential because you're able to take advantage of these tools and what they can do for you who are you replacing how are you measuring productivity the, the kpis that we're going to be contemplating around this are going to be emerging over the next few weeks and months and I'm telling you, every company on the planet is thinking about it. I just came back from A360, which is Peter Diamandis' event, and half the event was reworked to basically help organizations become exponential thinking 
AI-centered organizations, and everyone is is completely focused on how to integrate these tools into their organization right now. Now, we may find that... Yeah, but Bill, I... Go ahead. Let me just ask one another quick question. So, I, I, I think your analogy is, is so spot on that it's an infant and and we're, we're we're treating it like an adult, right? Which is the new thing. We, we, we all want to be our kids' friends. But I, I think that the challenge I see is this this tool, one, it uses all data, two, which, and that, that, that will improve. Um, it doesn't produce any insight. It actually imagines facts, right? It, it makes stuff up when it gets stumped. And, and it doesn't sound natural because it's, it's processing language using rules and that's not what humans do. So I, I just struggle with whether it is going to actually become intelligent, right? I, I actually don't think it's intelligent. I think it is artificial, but I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm a skeptic at this point of this particular tool being so overwhelming because I, I, I hear people talk about, oh, I used it. But then when I ask people, okay, show me something you produced with it, there ain't a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a slightly different, well, I have a, slightly, I have a different experience and, you know, maybe get, get back to grow. But, but my, my experience is right now is every developer that I know is generating code at a significantly accelerated rate, quality. 40, 42% of all GitHub code um, is now um, on a daily, weekly basis is now generated by that's right. That's right. And and so the point is, is that, you know, you have every developer in the world, not only developing code, but also integrating now via these APIs that do give you access to real-time decisioning. They give you access to live financial data, live travel data. I lost Bill again there. I don't know if uh, that's how Faden or just be. Sorry. It's you know, t t Twitter doesn't you're shut back. the phone off. That's the problem. Uh, Twitter yeah, doesn't no, shut the phone go. off. That's the problem. Anyway, okay, you're getting calls. Oh, secret. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so farmers are going to be making real time decisioning now. So, so I get that writing a newsletter, you know, may sound a little combination between a Harvard graduate student and a second grader. I don't mind that, but what I see is productivity gains exploding uh, over globally over the next few years as a result of this. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for calling me up. Um, so just a bit of background. So I uh, wrote for a long time from a story and I do my own independent research. A lot of that is macro focused and crypto focused. And I could tell you every day, you know, I sit down and with a blank page, try to think about a new and interesting topic to write about. And there's always, you know, three or four that I have going. Leveraging chat GPT, as long as you can build the scaffolding for what you want to write, I've been able to, you know, three to five X my output, you know, from simple things like here's the world's reserve currency. And then, you know, the projections of where it could be going forward. I try to build that part myself, the background chat GPT gives me all of it. As long as I'm asking the right questions and plugging in the right data, it can su substantially improve what you're looking for. Um, so I think on the, the research, the writing side, all of these integrations are going to, you know, 10x the researchers who can ask the right questions and know what they're doing and build the right frameworks and really leave a substantial piece of and portion of all of those folks who can't do those things behind. 
to to Raul's earlier point about social media, I, I think we're probably talking to a substantial amount of bots and you don't actually already know it. I was working with a company the other day that essentially trains itself on all of your tweets, all of the content that you want, say you want, um, you know, you're, you want to tweet about, you know, cryptocurrency, DeFi, emerging trends. You plug that in, it, it scrapes Google News, it scrapes your Twitter feed, writes it in your voice, and every four hours will send out a tweet based on that. And it keeps training itself until you get the content right, and then you basically don't have to be on Twitter anymore. And this stuff's already happening for Twitter, LinkedIn, and others. So I think we're talking to bots, we already, we, already, we don't even know it. And I think, you know, the folks who can train these things and ask intelligent questions are really going to be the ones who, who jump ahead. Hey, everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Go ahead, Mike. And and after your comments, I want to move into how this actually impacts the crypto market. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, hello. Thanks for having me. I, I think this to me fits into the macro that I say, okay, well, there's a lot I don't know about the specific trees of um, the artificial intelligence, but it's definitely the stage of suddenly from gradually, because I, I remember hearing about this when I was an undergrad, playing with that on a 40, 46 computer, just wasn't ready. But to me, this is what corporate leaders are getting that are typical like Federal Reserve people don't understand about significant deflationary trends. And you mentioned Jeff Booth nearly nailed in his book, The Price of Tomorrow. I'm glad you're going to have him on soon. To me, that's what people really missed last year and are missing now when I see things like producer price indexes dropping at the fastest pace in history since 1948. And we have the Fed still tightening. To me, it's, I just look at this. You just have to assume that the technology is moving so fast. It's so deflationary. If you don't, you're falling behind. And that's a key thing I get at all conferences I go to, from metals to agriculture to cryptos to energy. It's a deer in the headlights look with what's happened with technology. A, a guy out in the farm said recently, see, Mike, I went to this uh, event and dear John Deere showed me their new technology. It's shocking what they can do now with planting technology. That to me is what's accelerating. And then, so I look from a macro standpoint with cryptos is this is deflationary trends that people thought were kind of over are re-accelerating and in the macro, we still have the Fed still tight. So I, that's why I rope it in. And that's why I like to listen more to the specifics. Because to me, in the macro, this is the big picture of we're going to see by the time we talk next year, is all this is going to tilt towards people. It's going to replace jobs. But it's the transition towards higher productivity, lower prices for everything. Yeah, I'm sure everybody on this panel probably agrees that inflation is pretty much done. And we'll be talking about deflation more in, in the future. But Bill, you said something really interesting and you were talking about basically the fact that everybody's talking about this in every meeting and that you have to get ahead of it or you're going to be left behind. I said the same thing. And I have to be honest, I remember all of us saying the same thing about Bitcoin and crypto for the last two or three years. And so I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. If, I, I'm not saying that that's a point against certainly uh, against AI, but I can certainly remember when MicroStrategy bought bought Bitcoin and Michael Saylor was hosting 2,000 CFOs and every company was going to have to 
uh, add Bitcoin to their balance sheet or be left behind. So are we getting ahead of ourselves here or, or is this different or is that all happening for crypto? Uh, Raul, I would love your take on that because we've had these conversations so many times. Yeah. So look, I the crypto market, as we know, is driven by two things, the network adoption model, which is what makes it an exponential. And in addition, it's liquidity. So we've gone through the liquidity down cycle. So guess what? Less people are interested in crypto, less people are interested in DC because there's not enough money around all of that stuff. So let's zoom out. I spend a lot of time speaking to the world's biggest institutions. They are all over this space still. Everybody's done their homework, everybody's set up, but they tend to be price followers. I also, by the business that I set up, Sun's Magic Studios, uh, we talk to the world's biggest brands. All of the fashion brands, all of the sports companies, um, a lot of the media business um, and the music business is all hyper-focused on this space. They understand that Web3 equals customer loyalty in a new way um, and that community is their new business model. That is not going away. So as price recovers and liquidity recovers, we will see yet again another phase of acceleration. If we think of the previous acceleration phase, we saw the rise of NFTs, the rise of DeFi. Those were the two big things and the rise of layer twos. So three big things happened the last cycle. What is this cycle going to be? Well, the most likely outcome is going to be the applications cycle. So I, I think we will see a lot of this. And then we've got some super cycles on top, which we know a lot of people have talked about. And I've been trying to drive the, the uh, discussion on stuff like digital ID and how important it's going to be in an AI world. So I think that we've seen this with um, almost all technologies that come in ebbs and flows. We saw an enormous amount of money in VC going into the Web3 space. There's a lot of people building. Sure, some people will run out of runway and yeah, that's the normal course of events. But out of the other side, there's going to be a whole load of developments. You know, we're seeing stuff with the zero knowledge proofs. That's another side of the equation we're going to see. So my guess is we look back in three years' time, we'll be, oh my God, this whole space has moved again. You know, don't forget every time it kind of rises exponentially in number of users. And we got to 300 million users uh, at the peak of the last cycle. Next time around, we'll get to a billion users, maybe more. So um, you have to just zoom out, look at that logarithmic chart and realize that the network adoption model keeps playing out over time. So it's not a narrative where, well, suddenly we've had a down cycle and nobody's interested in crypto. That's simply not the case from almost every conversation I've had. It's just a matter of money, uh, money and business cycle. You know, right now, nobody's, nobody can make money. It's a tough market out there. And uh, that's normal. You know, we're in a recession or entering a recession. But as ever, we will come out the other side of it. Out of the other side of it is the ongoing digitization of the world. Hey, Scott, maybe one quick point, and I've got a staff meeting. So so I think two things. One, uh, AI is a 50-year phenomenon uh, that's become an overnight rage, right? I can, I can give you a lecture on all of the uh, technologies that had to evolve over 50 years. Now, I'm not talking about computing. I'm talking specifically about AI research, right? So this has been ongoing for literally 50 years. And in the last five years, of course, we've we've reached an inflection point in the hockey stick. Uh, and we've had smart contracts to enable decentralized finance for less than 10 years. And we're just now figuring out how to get them to scale to a billion users using them. 
which would enable a 24-7 always-on banking system that we've never had before, which uh, you know probably uh, is a key to the fourth turning in terms of mitigating uh, U.S. power and having a response to the military-industrial complex. So, so I think that these things are going to be fully integrated at some point in the next five years, and that the, the change of pace in developer productivity combined with these two phenomena is going to create a, a level of productivity and financial engineering, the likes of which we can't even fathom right now. And and so uh, I, I do think it's it's fun and interesting times, and I do see a, a significant convergence between the AI and, and crypto, particularly smart contract programming worlds, uh, coming up uh, very, very quickly. Mark, what do you think? I completely agree. I, I I think that the hype cycle is is was your original question, Scott, and a hundred percent right. This is this is not new. It's like it's like it's not like AI was invented this year. I mean, it's fifty plus years uh, overnight sensation, and it's one. You know, we got one little piece that we're talking about that everybody's so enamored of, which is natural language processing for the first time. But, you know, we had Clippy 30 years ago. Yep. 30 my years friends ago. Were, my friends were literally 30 uh, memeing. Freaking years ago. It took 30 years. So, um, yeah, it's it's overnight, but 30 years. So in terms of, of the smart contract point that Bill's making, the, the I think, I think uh, total value locked in DeFi today is, a, is 0.2% of bank deposits, it ain't gonna be 0.2% forever. Uh, and it's gonna to go to one, then it's gonna to go to five, then it's gonna to go to eight, then it's gonna to go to 25. I mean, ultimately, I will make the case, I have been making the case, that the banking, I am not allowed to use the C word. Um, I used to call it cabal, and then people said that that's a trigger word. Um, so now I gotta call it, they said use cartel, I'm like, that sounds like a trigger word. So the group, the banking group, uh, that's been in control for the last 800 years and has created more wealth for one single family than three quarters of the population of the planet. Let that sink in for a second. The Rothschild clan has more wealth than the bottom three quarters of the planet. So the banking system is going to fight really hard not to be displaced completely by DeFi, but it ultimately will happen because blockchain technology is a superior way of storing and transferring value. But we, we we actually coined a term and tried to service market. I think we actually are going to get it uh, called blockchain intelligence, which is the merger of blockchain and, and AI. And our venture fund, that's what we focus on. We invest in in both sides. So I, I, I double tap, triple tap, quadruple tap on, on what Bill was saying completely. So then let's let's talk about Raul. You're probably the person for this. Where do these two meet? Right. What what are the really interesting applications of AI with blockchain? AI with blockchain, I don't really know. Um, AI and blockchain to solve some of the societal issues that AI creates is so important and so urgent, which is digital ID. If we do not, I mean, once text to video happens at scale, we can basically make videos of any politician or any person saying anything to anybody on a individualized basis at scale. 
And sovereign states that have large supercomputing powers are able to do this. So we're coming into the US election next year, and that US election is going to be fought for, um, with AI on social media, and we are not prepared for it. So there is going to be an acceleration in the need to prove who is human, who is AI, who is uh, kind of regulated AI or accredited AI, um, and what content is real and what isn't. Um, and if we don't do it ahead of the election, there will be a massive government push to do it after the election. So I, so I think that is really, really crucial, is identity. Now, how AI itself merges with blockchain technologies, I don't know. My guess is some of these open networks will tokenize the network. So if you think about uh, an open network, let's say Stability AI, um, that's open source and it's very different to open AI, which isn't open at all, is how do you, how does that um, data processing get paid for? Well, you can either do it by subscription models, but the issue is, is society gets left behind as power accumulates to the few who have the largest compute. Um, and so if you tokenize these networks, then much like you could tokenize AWS, which is if you were to tokenize the ability to, um, um, to draw on the compute power, then people could participate in the rise of AI on a broad societal scale. So therefore, as you're getting to replace from jobs from AI, you could own a stake in that network. I think that's a big deal and something that needs to be looked at. And I think people are going to start to do that as well. Yeah, that, that that makes perfect sense. The election side of this is terrifying. Uh, it's, it's absolutely... Yeah, and I, the government... People have not thought this through. We will have, like with crypto, a massive regulatory backlash against all of this. The problem is, like crypto, it's utterly viral. It's, it will be pretty decentralized. And so, yes, you can try and regulate Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple, but you can't when you can just spin these things up anywhere and everywhere. And the internet is so open, you either shut down the internet or you have to deal with this. And I think regulation is not easy. I mean, it's laughable when the Italians tried to ban chat GPT. You just use a bloody VPN and you're back on. It's it's crazy. So, yeah, but Al, then you're going to go to jail for 20 years with no due process. You can do that in the United States after the Restrict Act. So careful about the VPNs. Yeah, I saw that. That's nice, eh? Yeah, that that's 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 also insane. I mean, and listen, we're having this entire conversation right now with the backdrop of Gary Gensler apparently getting eviscerated on the uh, floor of Congress at the moment. By the way, for anyone else who might be watching that or following, you talk about regulation, Raul. Obviously, I think we all know where regulation on crypto stands, which is like a wholesale backlash from the United States government. I tend to agree with you that they're going to try, but we can see how difficult it's been for them to get a handle of what's happening in crypto. Now you look at AI, which is happening a thousand, a hundred thousand times faster. There's no hope for them. No, there isn't. And, you know, my point about the crypto um, regulation is we have jurisdictional arbitrage and we will have it in everything. We've had it in genetic sciences. We will have it in AI and we've got it in crypto. And, you know, my view is we saw that uh, tweet out about it yesterday, and I've been tweeting for a while, is the UK is stepping up to the plate here. 
the UK, for example, in crypto, back in, in, in financial markets, back in the 60s and 70s, as the US shut down capital control, created capital controls around the US dollar, the FX market grew out of London. That's after the, the, the dollar had de-pegged from gold. So it grew out of London, became the largest market in the world had ever seen. Then the euro dollar market, the US restricted lending uh, globally. So the UK span up the euro dollar market. It became uh, even bigger than the FX market. And then after that, the US made a mistake, again, being protective over its banks, didn't allow them to uh, have the right regulatory capital for derivative markets. So London took all of that too. So the entire swaps market, the entire derivative market, which is multiple quadrillions, these markets added together are quadrillions of dollars, all came out of London. And so here the US is doing pretty much the same rule book that it used in the 70s and 80s. It's trying to restrict capital flows. It's trying to restrict um, uh, uses of the dollar so it, it could contain them. Meanwhile, the UK has made it very clear that it will... It will regulate stable coins. Now, stable coins is basically a tokenized euro dollar market. Um, it's going to allow for good regulation of crypto, good regulation of DeFi, the integration with the financial system, the integration with CDCs. Germany's moving forward, Switzerland's moving forward, Singapore's moving forwards. And so the US is just going to lose it. Now, anybody like me who grew up in the, in the financial markets in the uh, 90s and 2000s, uh, the entire financial market was based in London. And it, and it was from the 80s onwards. So, you know, the US was just a kind of a domestic backwater for equity markets. Everything else came out of London for the same reason. No reason that won't happen this time around. So, um, you know, the, the US needs to be very careful in what it does here because it's going to score an own goal uh, if they continue down this path. You, you mentioned London and England. I literally am just looking down your uh, Twitter feed right now. You retweeted something from Brian Armstrong where he said he had a great meeting with the UK economic secretary and city minister and how sensible the sort of approach to crypto, as you mentioned, has been in the UK, which is not something we were talking about not that long ago. And now we've seen Brian Armstrong come out and say that he would be willing to move Coinbase off. Yeah, I mean, look, I would love any of your thoughts every on this. Bank every major u.s bank basically headquartered in london in the 90s and 2000s as soon as we had what was known as big bang in london which is a deregulation of the banking system uh, for the investment banks they all moved to london en masse and so goldman sachs's biggest office was london merrill's biggest office was london uh jp morgan morgan stanley everybody was london um and because it's so easy to move coinbase to london because it's english speaking First world jurisdiction, rule of law, everything you ever need to do is there. So it was the same with the investment banks. It was just easy to move people to London. So I think it's the same thing. There's no reason. I interviewed the uh, the, the heads of institution at um, Coinbase on Real Vision recently, and their ex-bankers themselves are like, yeah, what? who wouldn't move to London, apart from the fact that it's a muddy, wet, dark, grey island? Other than that, it's pretty good. Basically, just like the Caymans, where you, where you yeah, exactly, exactly like the Caymans. <laughs> exactly, Mark. Uh, Mark, what do you think? I mean, listen, I, it seems like a empty threat that Coinbase would move offshore because <laughs> I mean they're publicly listed in the United States, and I would say that their core advantage is being U.S. based, but says a lot. I, I don't think it's an empty threat at all. I mean, there are plenty of publicly listed companies that moved their headquarters to some other jurisdiction 
you know, there was the whole Irish movement for tax purposes for all the biotech companies. There, you know, lots of Jersey and Channel Islands and corporations. There was the whole move to Dubai. Um, you know, Halliburton moved, uh, you know, total tax dodge, total scam from from being higher up in the uh, administration. But I, I look, I don't, I don't think it's a idle threat. I, I think that U.S. regulatory body, and you know, it's never good to criticize the agency that. Uh, oversees you personally, so I probably won't do that here, even though I probably have in the past. Um, it doesn't really make sense to uh, try to regulate through enforcement. Never has. Uh, Hester has been very vociferous on that, uh, writing another dissenting opinion yesterday, um, you know, prompting uh, a seated I don't know if you're a congressman or senator, but whoever it was that sponsored, I think it was a congressman, sponsored the bill to, you know, remove the current chair of of that three-letter organization. So I, I think it's real. I think it's real. She said innovation in the United States is kaput, I believe was the quote. Look, I mean, for an aggressive language from an SEC commissioner. I, I think she, you know, she's called crypto mom for a reason, right? Um, and that, that's true, right? You can, you can see it in the sense of, you know, we have a, a choice all, all nation states have a choice and, uh, you know, choose wisely. Although I think it's interesting. Take, take, for example, China, um, banned mining, right? Banned mining. Anyone pull up the recent hash rate? chart was it like over 20 percent or something mike alfred you're here you might have some color on that but uh, yeah it's it's a lot yeah yeah so it's it's more than zero and but but i thought it was banned so there's there's actual things that you say in public to curry favor and get votes there are actually things you do in in real life to to make yourself rich you know by handing out favors and then there's you know big decisions that you make or don't make. And at least right now, the decisions that they are making are pushing us in the direction that, that, uh, Hester, you know, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of hyperbole. <laughs> so my wife would remind me all the time. Um, so maybe she's being a little hyperbolic, but you know, I don't think she's that far off. And I don't think it changes the nature of, of the innovation being here, uh, until people are forced to move. Right. I mean, I did a little scouting on my spring break trip as to a, you know, friendly jurisdiction. If perchance things got really ugly here, if this restrict act pass passes, I'm out. I'm totally out. Right. If I could be arrested for having an app on my phone with no due process, I'm out. Yeah, that's really terrifying. I mean, Raul, do you think that we're literally at the point here where it's over for anybody trying to innovate in crypto in the United States, or is that, I mean, hyperbolic, as Mark said? I mean, I think that I've said that I think that we are sort of at that inflection point because if you're going to choose to innovate at this point, why would you even do it here? I don't think it stops crypto or AI or any of this in general. Obviously, it'll just move somewhere else, but why would you even try in the United States now? I think Bill mentioned an expression that um, that is important here, which is fourth turning. So what you've got is you've got the world accelerating beyond the understanding of a bunch of boomers 
um, who run government in the United States. You know, if you look at the UK, it's younger, not that the UK political system's any good, it's a mess, but it's younger, it's younger across the world, and they're becoming more adaptive. So here we've got a bunch of people saying, don't change, and they're turning it into party politics, because party politics in the United States is so incredibly divisive right now. And so they're going to use this for those lines. So we don't know really until we get through this bloody election how it's going to happen. And then there's the legal processes, whether it's the Ripple case or it's a bunch of other cases like the Coinbase uh, Wells notice. What that all leads to, we don't know. Um, it's hard. It's hard to know. But in a globally competitive world, people will move around anyway. So, yeah, as you said, it doesn't stop anything. The US has been the global center of innovation for so long now, um, but we just got, we, I mean, I'm not an American citizen, but the US has got the wrong leaders in place. And I still yet do not see an emergence of a new set of leaders that we need for this fourth turning, which is the embracing of this change into this digital future that we're going into, whether anybody likes it or not. You know, I always laugh at people who push back and say, well, you know, we don't want this. We don't want electric cars. We don't want this. It's like, nobody cares what you want. It's happening because the capital has has been allocated into the space. The knowledge is allocated to the space and the outcome will be change. And there's nothing you can do about it. So you either embrace it or you don't. And I think the whole US political system has to go through that whole understanding that you either embrace it or you don't and not embracing it is going to have very, very dire consequences for economic growth, productivity, and prosperity in the United States. Yeah, you're such an idea. You're such an idealist, Raul. You're, you're saying that the the decisions are made based on on what's good for us and and innovation, rather than what's bought and paid for. You're right. You know, EVs are coming, but not not because they're superior technology. It's been technology for 120 years. 1903, the American Electric Vehicle Corporation was the largest car company in America. And it got shelved for a hundred years, but it's it's who pays for what. But you're right, it it's coming. I just I would say it's a more sinister reason it's coming. Yeah, and but Raul, when I listen to you, you echo exactly sort of my fear and point. Maybe, you know, we'll get a decision in the Ripple case. Maybe we'll get a different political regime. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And I agree with all of that. The problem is, from what we've discussed earlier in this conversation, is that these things are happening at the speed of light, and that that's to my point is that. By the time we have any sort of clarity in the United States or any company feels like they can operate without being, you know, punished retrospectively for something that they did, won't we already be 10x leaps ahead where we are now? Yes. Yes. I mean, the U.S. has got a problem. I mean, you know, I live in the Cayman Islands. We've got, you know, a virtual asset set of laws here. The U.K., Hong Kong, Singapore, Switzerland, Germany, the EU's law is coming into play. And the EU is pretty, you know, conservative when it comes to this kind of stuff. They're being relatively sensible. And the US, will, you'll look around and you'll wonder why, like with the banks, why they've all moved somewhere else. And why the, you know, banking was a regional business in the US in the 90s and 2000s. And international banking was done out of different centers. It's the same thing. It makes no difference to me. It makes no difference to the market. It makes no difference to AI. It makes no difference to crypto. It just makes difference to U.S. citizens, um, and that's something people have to think about. 
So none of this has changed your premise as an investor, things we talked about six months or a year ago, none of that. So, so if you assumed that because the US had capsule controls in the 70s and 80s, that the SX market would never flourish, and it ended up being a market that trades two quadrillion a day, or, oh, sorry, um, I don't know, I can't, can't remember the numbers, but the whole thing does, you know, these things do quadrillions of dollars a year without the US at the time being involved is extraordinary. So as an investor, we don't care. I mean, if every hedge fund ends up doing its crypto business in London, as opposed to New York, makes no difference. You know, they're not going to ban um, US people owning crypto. They're just trying to stop companies building in the US. Buy them, they'll just build it somewhere else. You know, the capital markets are not just US-based. They're all over the world. And we're seeing, you know, the Middle East piling capital into this um, area as well. And they're, you know, they've got a huge positive cash flow right now. And so there's enormous sums of money being pumped in. So, yeah, I don't think it makes a world of difference to crypto adoption or anything else because people go elsewhere. I mean, you know, you look at um, French corporations like LVMH, Bernard Arnault, the richest man in the world. You know, look at his kids. They're all involved in crypto. Look at their brands. They're all using Web3 technologies, NFTs and other things. They're all building metaverse stuff. That's out of France. So, so you know, if Apple can't do it or don't want to do it, fine, but other companies will. You know, Spotify's oh, right, good company. To that point, a French company is about to become the Apple of Web3, which is Ledger. Exactly right. It's amazing. Their new device is coming out this month, Mark. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to blow people away. And, and the one that's coming out in the fall is is literally going to change the world which is a big statement but it it's it's going to change the world can you talk about that a bit because i'm actually still stuck on what's coming out this month <laughs> well no it's it, it's just it's all about the form factor and and the the functionality is the the short version um and and then i gotta hop but the short version is the browser made web one Right, Web One existed for many, many years, but it was too hard to enter until the browser, Mark Andreessen, changed the world, Netscape, and then Microsoft took over, you know, with Explorer, and now we all use something else. But, but that changed Web One. Web Two was the little thing everybody's holding in their hand right now—an iPhone, smartphone—and uh, you know, now Web Three is, I think, I believe, all about the the hardware security module, the HSM, and. Uh, it could, could be the smartphone if, if capital I, capital F, they were to figure out how to do the enclave in a in a secure way. I don't think they will. I think Ledger has the solution, and they will incorporate uh, the features that we all need to have in, in a single device. I don't want to carry two devices. I want one, and so an HSM with a screen and a camera will, I believe, be the thing that we all carry around until it's ultimately implanted or, you know, it's in glasses or whatever. But that's that's the short version. But, you know, they hired the guy who literally built the iPod. Yeah, it's which incredible. changed the world. I mean, that, that, that the iPod didn't invent MP3s, didn't invent electronic music, not electronic, electric music. 
um, uh, no, electronic as opposed to electric. But it, it changed the way we interacted with music and the way we thought about going from analog to electronic. And now we're going from electronic to digital and having that digital. And it's what Raul was talking about, right? It's, it's our identity. We won't carry driver's licenses. We won't have marriage licenses. We we'll, Everything will be tokenized and carried in this digital vault that we all have. And I, I believe Ledger is, is going to win that. But that's just because I believe in, in you know, Paul Romer's law of increasing returns. And Raul, I know I want to be respectful of your time, and you probably have to go in a couple minutes. But uh, you you sort of described this uh, the fact that the market obviously doesn't care. Do you uh, take the fact that we just saw price basically go from you know nineteen thousand Bitcoin to over thirty thousand Ethereum price rising now, altcoin price rising, prices rising. Do you see that sort of as confirmation of that exact ideal? I mean, it seems like we've had literally endless bad news and prices just keep going up yeah because it's driven by liquidity so if you think about this phase this phase in the cycle is driven by liquidity so we've seen the central bank balance sheet expand we've seen chinese m2 expand uh we've seen a bunch of um early signs that the liquidity cycles turning positive so cryptos turn positive with it and then what usually happens is the next phase of the cycle is when the adoption curve starts accelerating again as people start building at building new products now People like Ledger will be in the middle of that as they start to make it easier for people to onboard and use this kind of uh, methodology. Even the Solana phone, whether it's success or not, it's a step in the right direction of integrating Web3 technologies onto phones. You know, will Apple get there? All of that. It will come over time. So that's the phase we're at. It doesn't care about recession because its job is to forward look and look at the liquidity that's coming and look at the fact that the output for every recession is cutting rates or increasing the size of the balance sheet, which is the debasement of currency, which in the end leads to price rises of assets. And crypto is the king of all assets when it comes to it. So I think it's doing exactly what it should do. The market doesn't care about the US and its fight over various things. You know, Ripple continues to operate around the world and Ethereum is not called a security in any other world. So nobody cares. It's, it's, that's the ridiculousness of this whole situation. The U.S. thinks it can regulate a decentralized system, and it can't. There's just simply no way. Um, and so, you know, I think the, the market doesn't care, rightly doesn't care, because it because it doesn't make a difference to the adoption of the technology overall. I have to laugh at what you just said, because in the uh, hearing with Gensler today, I, I believe it was McHenry, asked him like three times point blank if the Ethereum was a security, and he just pretended he didn't hear him. <laughs> he refused refused to, to give an answer wholesale which to me is just absolutely mind-blowing well I, I know that you've got to go uh mike i'm sorry we didn't really uh, get to get to chat here but i am going to go ahead and end it because i have another commitment as well thank you everybody so much for for tuning in uh awesome perspective it was nice to have a conversation that was focusing largely on the positive and what's possible instead of all uh, the negative things that are happening which seems to be every conversation that we generally have had these days raul thank you so much really uh, always a pleasure and an honor hope we can do this again very thanks soon. my friend thanks everyone great to see you all great to speak to you what's up revolutionaries thanks for tuning in for more content like this head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best brightest and biggest names in finance.